Welcome to Define You Radio. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Are you ready to unapologetically build your confidence, achieve goals, and design a life worth living? Learn the life lessons and strategies to define your life, money, and business. Pens and papers ready? Class is now in session. Welcome to Define You Radio Classes in Session, where you get the tips, strategies, and life lessons from queens who have defined their life. I am your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Make sure you follow and connect with the show on Blog Talk Radio and Define You Radio's Facebook page for updates and more. Also, you guys know we are on countdown mode for Define You Live taking place November 11th in Houston, Texas, in which I am really excited about this weekend. I went to Houston and connected with quite a few people, and they are really excited to get their mind on something else besides Harvey. Which, which I'm really glad to hear. So with that being said, for more information on Define You Live, you can go to defineyoulive.com or simply just inbox me on Facebook and I will get the information you need to know. We are still looking for vendors and sponsors. And with that being said, on to tonight's show. So you guys know this month on Define You Radio, we are discussing domestic violence. Why? Because it's something that needs to be discussed. That's like a period on the end of this sentence. A lot of times we look at the news and we hear the horror stories, but there's a whole other side of that. There are the women and men that have experienced domestic violence and got out of those situations and learned to heal from that, including me. I, I, had a domestic violence experience. I grew from that. And more people need to hear that side. There's a whole other side. You have more more options than just what you see uh the tragedies in the in the news, social media or wherever. And I'm really excited. So tonight we do have two fabulous guests, Miss Nadia and Miss Naquisha, who I will be calling Miss Q or Q throughout the show. They're going to tell us about their experiences getting out and healing. But before we talk to them, I want to tell you guys some statistics. And these come from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, whose information is also posted on Define You Radio's Facebook page. 19% of domestic violence involves a weapon. I want you guys to, to let that sit for a second. Women between the ages of 18 to 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. That means somebody they're dating. When I went through my domestic violence situation, guess what? I was in between 18 and 24. I was in my early 20s. And I know I've been telling you guys I was going to share my experience. I'm just going to hit on that really quick, and then we'll get to tonight's guest. So, 
I was a young single mother and I met a guy from New Orleans and I am the Southern Belle of Bold right here in Louisiana in now in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, but I lived in Baton Rouge at the time. So he was everything I thought I wanted. Tall, slim, dark skin, goals in his mouth and braids. Like I said, I was in my early 20s. So this was like my picture of the guy, my, my ideal mate. Everything was all fine and good the whole time we dated. No jealousy issues, nothing. He was, he was nice, but he was that kind of nice. He wasn't like sweet nice. He was, you know, cool. We had fun. We could hang out, go out to the club. I'm like perfect relationship. Somebody I could party with and, and be with. So rushing into a situation, we got married. I really didn't know him like I should have known him because then I would, the warning signs were there, but at that age, you're really not aware of the warning signs in which I did also post them on Define You Radio's Facebook page. So uh, we got married really, really quick. And I got the experience of a lifetime, basically. The ink was not dry on our marriage license before he slapped me. And I really don't remember why. Like there's ever a reason. There's there's never a reason. I don't really remember why. I think it was one of those nights we came home drunk from the club. Um, he thought somebody was looking at me. Maybe I was flirting. I don't remember why. But he, he slapped me and I hit him back. If you know me, you know I am a, a lioness. I am a fighter. So he slapped me. I hit him back. He pulled my hair. I pulled his braids. Because I was like, he lost his mind real quick. Maybe it was alcohol. That was the first time, but it wasn't the last. It became every, uh, and I'm, I'm going to try my best not to get in my feelings, but if I do, this is a very emotional show that's very close to my heart. Um, it became every three weeks like clockwork. There was alcohol involved. Sometimes he would get so drunk I could smell the alcohol coming off of his body as he passed out on my couch in front of my son drooling alcohol, but I was in love. So every three weeks like clockwork, he'd remember something from his childhood Somebody at work made him mad. It didn't, it really didn't matter. But I was that thing that, uh, and I noticed I said thing. I was that thing he could take his anger out on. But me, I didn't look at it as being domestic violence because I was fighting back. We would go toe to toe, like two men in the street. I don't know how else to say that. Um, so I didn't look at myself as being, uh, a victim of domestic violence, not Valencia. But it got to the point to where mentally I was tired. And I called the police, but guess what? Like many victims of, of domestic violence, I would drop the charges sometimes. But here in the state of Louisiana, um, I know definitely in my situation, a lot of times, especially if there were was evidence, like if the police came and I had a black eye or, or my tracks from 
my weave was on the floor. If there was evidence, the state would pick up the charges. One time I put him in jail, his job bailed him out. One time I put him in jail, he called me and, you know, I'm going to lose my job because of you and everything else. I felt guilty. I bailed him out. That was the physical side, part of the physical side and, and the mental side, because at the time I made more money than him. That was a point of anger and jealousy. So he felt like he would get paid and he would throw $25 at me, literally. This is for you to pay the bills with. But we were married, right? So it should have been, you know, we put everything together. We're supposed to make it work together. But no, I was this thing he married. It, it, was, it was so much to that. Um, there was a time we went to this little hole in the wall. And for my international listeners and people that don't know, a hole in the wall is like that little small spot you hang out that's not really on the map. We went to a little hole in the wall club in in New Orleans and he got way past drunk and all I know is he hit me and his mom and his sister was with us at that time and I started hitting them back because remember Valencia you're not a victim of domestic violence you just happen to be married to this man that sometimes you have to fight so he started getting getting rowdy he hit me I hit him back Instead of security at the club breaking it up, because literally it's this man hitting this woman, they put us out. He wasn't done. So basically, me, his mother, and his sister were fighting him in the middle of the street. He called me all kinds of names. Um, He called his mama and his sister all kinds of names. There's no way stood up for me because I was just this thing he married it went on like that for six seven eight months I don't remember the time period I'm 40 now and like I said this happened in my early 20s maybe 22 23 Um, it was a short period of my life but a one that I very much remember because it changed me I thought if I lost weight it would make him happy. It didn't. I lost a couple of pounds. He told me I looked like a stripper. Gained the weight back. It came to the point where one night we had gotten a fight and he grabbed the, the front of my hair. He he locked his fingers into my where my um whatever I call them these days was so or or glued in, I can't remember um glue. Uh, he pulled and he pulled and he pulled till he literally ripped the, the tracks and some of my hair out. I couldn't take it anymore. I think I snapped at that moment. Um, and I remember in that moment, I was like, I'm going to kill him or he's going to kill me. And at that time, my son was already here. He was two, three years old. I didn't have the right to allow this man to take me from my son. That one fact alone gave me 
the strength to know that I couldn't end up in jail or die. That wasn't an option, no matter how much I thought I loved him. So I started going to the battered women's shelter, which was quite embarrassing for me to go there and, and sit there and listen to these, what I look kind of still look, I mean, looked at then as, you know, weak women saying, you know, how they got beaten. I'm like, they didn't even fight back. I'm not them. I'm not them. Cause still it wasn't register, registering in my mind. And I listened and I listened and bits and pieces of their story sounded very much like mine. Um, he knew I was going and he was, he, he was mad about that too. Of course, you're going there telling those people our business. I felt guilty, but I still went. And from going to the battered women's shelter in uh, Baton Rouge, I learned to make a plan. I tried to stay out of his way, work as much as I can while I went forward with this plan. And part of my exit plan was to make sure I had uh, my birth certificate, uh, social, um, social security numbers for me and my son, an extra pair of clothes and all of those things at another location. So I put those things at my baby sister house just in case I didn't have time to do what I need to do before I left. It was there. That was one of the things that I learned from the battered women's shelter that stuck with me. And I would definitely advise anyone that's in that situation, prepare for 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 the worst. Prepare that if you have to leave in the middle of, ni- of night, if, I'm sorry, guys, um, in the middle of the night with nothing but your, the clothes on your back, that the things that you have to have to build your life back is somewhere else you can get to. So I left and I cried for like about a week. I didn't understand why I I cried. Why I felt so miserable. Why I wanted to go back. It didn't make sense. And it was times that he came to my baby sister house, but she knew the situation being as protective as she is. And she had some big dogs. He wasn't coming in the yard, but I would hear him out there calling my name and I was crying because I wanted to be with him, but knew that if I was, I was going to kill him or he was going to kill me at the end of the day. That that's really what it came to came down to. This went on for months. Uh, when I moved out from my baby sister's house, I, ne- I didn't go back. Just to let you guys know, I didn't go back. I had restraining orders. And even though he looked at that as being a piece of paper, because it didn't stop him from harassing me, it made me feel protected because I knew if I had to protect myself between the police reports and the restraining order orders, I was covered. Was that whole process of going through the battered women's shelter and going to do the restraining order, was it embarrassing? Yes. Did it save my life? I do believe so. Because after I moved out of my sister's uh, house and finally got into my own apartment, he still stalked me. They say that's one of the most dangerous times when a woman leaves or or a man or whoever, when, when the person that's being violated because that's what domestic violence is. It, it's a violation of you. That's one of the most dangerous times. 
He broke into my apartment and proceeded to pee and pour beer on all of my clothes. Filed a police report. So the police were looking for him. The police found him a couple of days later on his way to my job, passed out drunk on the railroad tracks down the street. He was so drunk and out of his mind, probably ready to kill me because he did tell the police, I'm going to kill that B. And you guys can fill in the blanks. The police called me and said, I think we we have your your husband, because I was still married at the time. We need you to come identify him. Pulled up at the police station. They had him in handcuffs. He was so drunk again. Like I said, he was he was so drunk. He was passed out on the railroad tracks when they found him. That he was still hollering that he was going to kill me. B, I'm going to kill you and all of the above. They took him to jail, needless to say. He did catch uh, a couple of other charges because of that. But the one thing I remember feeling in that moment, for some reason, I was free. However, I did move out of the city. I basically uprooted me and my son because I no longer felt safe. Like he killed me, anything that would keep him in jail forever. So I did move out of of the city and basically, I don't want to say went into hiding, but I basically changed everything from the routes I took to see my family in Baton Rouge to everything. So after that, just to kind of give you guys a little tidbit after that of the the aftershocks, after I got the situation, I suffered from... it's called PTSD, and I talked a little bit about that in, in transition because I developed a deep fear of any man that looked like him. If you were tall, I had an anxiety attack. If you were skinny, I had an anxiety attack. If you had braids, I was freaking out. And if you were dark-skinned, Lord, I could not get out my car crying and praying. I had nightmares. I woke up out of my sleep crying, praying. This was after I left and in a whole other city. What healed me from that situation, I just kept having to pray. I I really, I kept having to pray that fear off of me because I knew I was, I was safe. With that being said, um, that was that was it with that situation. Those few months or, or a year, however long it was, changed the course of my life. It it let me know really how much I, I was worth and regardless of what I wasn't ready to die, it let me knew, know that that wasn't that's not love. Love is not drunk fights. And just because you fight back doesn't mean you're not a victim of domestic violence. So I went from being a victim to surviving it to conquering it. And it's just a page, not even a page, it's a chapter in the book of Valencia. So that's why I talk about it, because a lot of times people have this uh, misconception of weak women 
that a woman is weak. And I doubt anyone that knows me would use that word weak to describe me. But yet and still, I was in a domestic violence situation. Plenty of days I covered up black eyes with tons of makeup. And nobody ever asked, can I help you? Are you okay? So when you see that woman or man, because men go through it too, at work that you know, just ask them, are you okay? I'm here if you need me. That may have changed how long I was in the relationship, what I experienced afterwards. I don't know, but it doesn't hurt to try. So as promised, that was my story. I am ready to definitely move on from that because it sends flashbacks and it makes me angry that somebody had the nerve to violate me. And that's what domestic violence should do. It's not that hush thing you talk about or feel embarrassed about. It should make you angry. With that being said, I'll go ahead and bring on our first guest, Naquisha. Are you there? So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell a little bit about you and go ahead and tell us your domestic violence experience. Well, my name is Nakisha Hanks. I still use the last name because I paid for it. That's what I told the judge when he signed off on my divorce. And um, when I say I paid for it, I paid for it in more ways than one. I paid for it mentally. I paid for it physically. I even paid for it financially. Um, As Valencia stated, I thought I was in love. And when I say thought I was in love, I mean head over heels in love. Um, We, oh gosh, we after dating for about two years, almost two years, um, we married while he was in prison. And um, excuse me if I get emotional because sometimes it's still hard to talk about just because um, not that I'm not growing or not healed, but when you when you think about the way that your children had to see you suffer, um, it still breaks my heart. My um, my baby girl, which is nine years old, we that's um our child that we share together and um she still suffers in and so um like I said it, it when you think about the impact that it has made on your children, it's still very heartbreaking. Um I was one of the women who went back because like you, it was just a fight in my eyes. Um the first time that it happened I did call the police, but when we started calling my phone about the charges, I told the police, don't call me, He that he was my husband, and that in the state of Texas, you can't make me testify against my husband, so I asked him not to call me, um, so he they, he, they kept him, 
in uh, the county jail here in Houston, and they tried to, they kept calling me, like I said, they kept calling me up until the point to where I told the officer not to call me anymore and that he couldn't make me testify at the time I was, at the time I was pregnant with my daughter. But again, in my eyes, it was just a fight, especially since I passed the first week. But however, I, you know, the, you know, the warning, you know, the warning signs, you can tell when a person is about to attack you. And so in my eyes, I was just defending myself. So after he stayed there about three weeks and they couldn't get me to press the charges, I went back. And then uh, the second time I went back again and my excuse was I love him. He's my husband. And married people go through things and you're supposed to work it out. That was that was what you know, that was what I kept saying. That was what I said to myself. That was what I said to the very few people that did know about what was going on was that it was you know, it was what I was supposed to do. Um and then this last time, which was in March of twenty fifteen, we were actually living in Austin. I I'd left, um, and I'm I'd moved to Austin and I had been there for a while and we came here on a visit and he had just moved there um in December of the previous year, twenty fourteen, and then here we were three months later, driving up to Houston for a visit and he exploded at the time. I didn't know that drugs nor alcohol was involved. I only found that out after he'd been apprehended. Um, gosh. And so this time, this particular time, this last time, it he attacked me in front of, in front of my girls and I just I just remember just pleading for my life that night and there was this gate that he had me up against and he just wouldn't stop and it seemed like it lasted forever and there were like people trying to help nobody could control him he was out of control literally and I remember at one time, I just remember he hit me so hard, it literally knocked my breath out of my body. And anybody who knows me or have seen me, I wasn't as big then as I am now, but I've always been a thick chick. And so he literally knocked the breath out of my body. I remember hearing my children screaming and crying, begging for him to stop. He still didn't stop. He just kept pounding And at the time when he knocked my breath out of my body, I remember not being able to see in the natural, but I do remember being able to see in the spirit. And in the spirit, I could see him standing over me, and I I could see blood. And I was praying, and I started saying, God, help me. 
I was, and I didn't understand at the time why God was allowing this to happen, because in my eyes, like this is the man that I vowed to spend forever with. Like we love each other. What is, you know, all kinds of stuff was going through my mind. Like, you know, and so I remember pleading and and praying and just asking God to help me. And I was saying, Lord, please, because my knees were getting weak. And I remember I almost fell, and I said, Lord, if you let me fall, I said, Jesus, if you let me fall, he's going to kill me. And I said, Lord, please just give me strength. Whatever you do, just please don't let me fall. And so I remember it still, you know, going on for a few more minutes after that because, like I said, it seemed like forever. And the only way that I was able to break a loose and run down the street was that somehow, even to this day, I still don't know. And I just I counted all joy because I knew it was nothing but God. I, his hand somehow ended up in my mouth. And when his hand ended up in my mouth, I bit down as hard as I can. And I remember him saying, B, and you can fill in the blank, you want to bite? And he went to swing again, and I just took off running down the street. Like, I was I was running, but mind you, before before the first week even came, I'd already called the Houston Police Department. Even I'm running down the street, they're still not there. It probably took them about 45, 50 minutes just to even get there on the scene. And so uh, now my, my main message to people is just, when God tells you no, you have to let your you have to let that no be no, because I'll be honest in, in saying that that wasn't my husband. I knew from the very beginning that he wasn't. But again, like I said, I loved him, and so that was my choice. The one thing, one thing about God, He gives you free will. You can ask for signs and signs, and He'll give you the signs. But it's up to you whether you choose to ignore them or if you choose to take heed. And so, you know, like I said, my message is just to let that no be no. Um, Afterwards, um, he did end up, because he was already, you know, he was already on a, a probation for another charge. He did end up getting a, a substantial amount of time. But... um. I I I'm okay. It's just like I said. It's just so upsetting for my for my children, especially my nine year old, because she doesn't remember a time when she hasn't had her father in her life. And so every now and then, you know, she goes through her spells. And when she goes through the spells, I do. I get angry all over again. But um, God is, you know, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so I just. I just try to just, you know, keep praying despite how I feel because I still have to remember how I feel is not how she feels or how I feel is not how they feel uh, because I, I, I do have you know, my oldest daughter as well. And so I just try to, you know, that's that's my way that I've been pressing forward is just to just keep praying. Um, I'm involved in a, a lot of support groups with, women who are victims of domestic violence, and I talk about it every chance I get. A lot of times, you know, in my generation growing up, 
you didn't talk about your business. You didn't tell stuff that went mm-hmm. on in your household. But I teach my children that if your if your story, if your if what you go through and what you grow through can help somebody else, then there is going to come a point in time where you do need to talk about it because I don't want it to be a repetitive cycle for my children because I know how I feel about them, and I know I'll kill somebody, if, you know, if they did what happened to me, to my children. I, You know, I would. I, I can honestly say I would want to kill the person. And so I'm just, my goal is just to, to break cycles and not allow this to become a repetitive cycle to where my children and my grandchildren have to go through this. Mm. Powerful story. Thank you for for sharing. And I'm going to come back with questions and especially about a few things that you said um, with breaking the cycle of domestic violence. Okay. Um, so let's bring our other guests on. Nadia, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your story? Um, hello, my name is Nadia Wells. And my story actually started as a toddler. I grew up in a household where domestic violence was an everyday thing, which made me feel like it's normal. This is something that's supposed to happen. Even though I watched my mother cry and complain and stay, I felt sorry for her, and I wanted better for myself. I always promised myself I'm not going to go through this. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to let any man put his hands on me because, it was something that I knew in the back of my mind was not supposed to happen. But, again, it happened every day. My parents would fight two, three times a day. If they missed a day, it was double the next to make up for what they missed. They were mm. breaking furniture, throwing stuff at each other, replacing it every other day. And I grew up to the first real relationship I thought I had, I found out was not a real relationship at all. It was somebody that an enemy of mine sent to make me fall in love and Mm. break my heart and make me, well, basically destroy me. But in the process of him doing what they sent him to do, he caught feelings for me and started telling me this one sent me to you, and I was supposed to do this, and I was supposed to do that. But at the same time, he still was—he still was himself. He was used to girls that, or females that, submitted to him. And in a sense, I was that person, but I was fighting because of what I grew up with, what I knew was right, what I knew wasn't right when I knew what I wasn't going to accept. So we weren't in a relationship very long at all. It was maybe a year, if that long. He never physically put his hands on me, but the mental, it was mental and emotional abuse from him. And he would 
she was the type of person that had so many, like, other different girlfriends and stuff, but they would buy him things and do stuff for him, but he wouldn't want me to talk to, speak to, or even look at another male. So we would argue about, I looked at him too hard, I looked at him too long, why I looked at him at all. He would attempt to make me stay inside to do, and I didn't live with him at all. Yeah, come get me. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we wouldn't do nothing but go to his house and sit inside. He had a best friend that they were used to sharing females. He held me at gunpoint and made me have sex with his best friend. Then got mad when his best friend wanted to talk to me and have a relationship with me. He turned around and would tell me he loved me and he didn't know what he would do without me. But you putting me through all of these things. That's not love. He would come get me from my job. I had just had a baby prior to meeting him. My, my daughter was a couple of months old when I met him. And he would come get me and come get my baby and Introduced me to people as, that's my baby, and, you know, like, lock us inside the house and stuff. And he just put me through so much emotional stress. Thank God for, even though I know Katrina was not a good thing for a lot of people, Katrina was my escape. That's what got me Mm. away from him. And I promised that I would never go through that again or anything similar to that. But after Katrina, I found another man, and he was worse. He drank a lot. He did drugs and all kind of things, and I didn't know all this stuff was going on. And he would want to fight because he wanted money, and I wouldn't give it to him. We fought a lot inside the house, outside. Neighbors had recordings of us. Fighting. Nobody ever called the police. Nobody ever got involved. They just watched and talked about it. Everybody had something to say, but then nobody wanted to help. And then you come sit in my face and pretend to be my friend or pretend to support or have my back. But where were you when I needed you? And you saw him pulling my hair out, ripping my clothes off, blackening my eyes. I would go to work, working overnight with shades on, trying to hide something that couldn't be hidden. I never knew how to put on makeup. He tried to portray the image that he's giving me my self-esteem and he's making me a woman and he's doing this and doing that. Whatever chance you get, you breaking me down. You talking about that, this, black, that. Nobody don't want you but me. All kind of negative things. But in the front of other people, he portrayed his image like he's so perfect and I just love her and all kind of stuff. I've been in so many bad relationships. Because I made up my mind that I wasn't going to do it, I guess I've been tested throughout the years. I finally made up my mind that I'm not accepting it anymore. And I came up with 
a nonprofit organization called Blessing Our Women because I want to get my story out and I want to be able to help others prevent someone else from going through what I went through or what my mother went through. I want to be able to empower other women. And it's just a lot. For years I've held so many things in, and I finally come to the point where I want to, I want to get my word out. I want to talk, and I just want to be the be the shoulder someone needs of the help that I didn't have. It's hmm. like a cycle, an ongoing cycle for my family. My grandmother went through abuse. My mother went through abuse. I'm going through it, and I have a 13-year-old daughter that's witnessing these things that I deal with, and I want to show her that she doesn't have to deal with it. You don't have to accept this. A man doesn't have to put his hands on you to show you that he loves you. Because if he loves you, he's going to cherish you and make you feel like the queen that you are. Mm. So Thank you. My, no, go my, ahead. My, um, I mean, I don't want to go deeply into my story because I don't want to cry on your station, your radio. It, it doesn't matter. But, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, People know what the I'm show having, is about. It's an emotional topic. So go ahead. So I'm basically I'm, I'm having a program at the end of this month to share my story. And I have several, five females that's going to be speakers. Know your work. It took me years to know what I'm worth and I want to share that with the world. I think it started at twenty dollars and it went up on the twenty sixth of August to thirty. But for the next forty eight hours anyone that's interested in going to my program and mention this broadcast, I'll do my tickets for ten dollars. Thank you so much, Nadia. I will make sure that information is posted on Define You Radio's Facebook page. Um, Side note, I am one of the speakers at this event, which I am honored to be um, very much so because I have, I don't, I've never shared my story on a platform, you guys know, normally I'm talking about confidence and goals, but part of who I am today was definitely going through that experience. Um, So I will make sure that information is posted, but I wanted to say something to both of you guys, because one of the things that I, that I know, um, and that I recognize is that all of us that that we have in common, all of us have children, and we had children in these in these situations, meaning while we were going through these situations. And um, I know I grew up seeing my mom get hit by my stepdad. He would hit her, and my mom would fight back. And then as I got older. I would, you know, try to fight him too. But as I wrote my story in transition, 
I was talking to my grandmother who, who passed in August, the end of July, we buried her in August. And we were talking about the story. And one of the things she said, um, which is crazy because to me, you shouldn't say this, but you know, it was my grandmother. And she said that your mama would have never dealt with someone hitting her. And one of the things I told her, I was like, well, actually, you know, my stepdad would fight her and I would fight him. And some of you guys know the story. When I was in eighth grade, I did try to kill him because I got tired of him physically abusing my mom and emotionally abusing me. And that's how I ended up, you know, living with my grandmother because my mom made that choice, but that's a whole other story. Um, But I grew up, I saw her. I never saw my grandmother go through domestic violence, but I knew that she dealt with it. Um, I know my aunts were in domestic violence situations. I don't know about my baby sister. I'm 99.9% sure she never dealt with domestic violence as far as physically. But one of the things that I notice is that these are generational things. Nakuisha, would you like to add to that? Um, that's true. I do have, um, I do have um, a family member, very close family member of mine that went through domestic violence, and like you said, the things are generational and that's why for me that's why it's so important to talk about it because again I want to be a cycle breaker I don't want my children to have to go through go through the same thing that other women and as well as myself had to go through and so for me again like I said that's why it's so 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 important for me to talk about it like any time that I'm talking about it or um like having any type of event um this this radio show like they are right here listening engaging and even you know like i said even though some things are hard for them to hear and relive i just try and comfort them the best way that i know how but I do let them know that, you know, it's important for them to be able to hear these things and for them to also be able to get tools that they might have to share with their friends at school or, you know, just out in the community because there's children that, you know, they have to experience it too. And if they, if I can, if I can teach them or they can sit around and, you know, learn something from me and another kid can come along and confide in them and tell them, then that way they'll be able to, they'll be able to, you know, help those, help those children out as well. So that's why, you know, like I said, that's, that's why it's so very important for me is because I, I do like, I have to, I have to break this cycle because I know, again, I know how I feel about them, and I don't want to be in jail behind hurting some somebody behind my girls, but I know that I will. And so that's why it's so very important. I agree 100%. Definitely. I, I remember when I was in high school, um, that's why these conversations are important. And, you know, back in the day, people didn't have those conversations. It was just something that happened. 
I don't I don't recall as a child ever telling anyone, hey, my stepdad is fighting my mom. Like I don't I don't recall ever saying that. Uh but it's something that me me and my son talk about. He remember bits and pieces, like I said, he he was about two or three at the time. I, you talk, you know, y'all talk about, you know, your kids seeing and being embarrassed. My son knew how to dial 911 on one of the restraining orders that I burned last year. Um, it's, it, you know, it says that, that he called 911. He might didn't know what to say, but he knew to dial it. And to this day, and, and my son is 20 now, to this day, I still get a little in my feelings about that. But that opens up, you know, we have these discussions and we, and we talk about it. And just like I tell him, he doesn't have the right to, to hit anybody, which if you know, my son, he's very, a very humble, sweet young man. But one of the things I also tell him, he doesn't have the, no one, no one has the right to hit him either. Cause a misconception um, is that, you know, it's always men against women and domestic violence happens in all kinds of relationships, all kinds, True. you know, on the first show we did, and you guys could go back and listen to it. We actually had a man on the line and guys, if you have any questions or comments, please press one. If you wanted to get on Define you radio, you don't have to give your name. If you have a question, comment, if you're in a domestic violence situation and maybe feeling hopeless, whatever, if you press one, we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and open the lines up tonight. But um, it, it was, I have those discussions with him and, or we've had them, you know, and it's, it's like people think focus on having the sex discussion with their kids. You need to have those domestic violence discussions also what's okay and what's not okay because I remember being in high school and seeing this guy who I was neighbors with beat his girlfriend you know against the locker and you know in high school you really kind of don't think about it like that like I said nobody's talking about that and it was just you know I knew him I knew the guy and to me he was a nice guy so in my teenage mind I'm thinking she must have did something. And then I didn't I didn't like her anyway. I think she had a nasty attitude. I can't remember. But this is something I'm sure it happens today. Um that people think, you know, especially if you're a strong woman, an outspoken woman, oh, she must have did something for him to hit her. Yeah. And and they were I'm they were together for years. They were together for years, and they were just known around high school. You know, sometimes he would just beat her up against the locker, and it was it was very like nonchalant, like it was something that that happens. And I think that we do get um, numb to to the fact of those things. Maybe not so much now because of social media, and more people are talking about it. But definitely in high school, I was very numb to it. I I blamed her because he to me he was a nice guy. So if he beat her, she must have deserved it. Nadia, would you like to add to what I just said? 
Did you see it in high school? Did you see like teenagers going through domestic violence situations? Um, yes and no. I mean, basically, <laughs> during school hours, they would have girlfriend, boyfriend situations going on, but I didn't really pay much attention. I've only seen one couple actually fight in school. School time, I wasn't allowed to do anything. So, I mean, I really don't know too much about the girlfriend, boyfriend in school type incidents. As I wasn't allowed for that, so I'm not really sure. Laquisha, um, I do. Re- I when I was in when I was in high school, uh, I do actually know someone that I was in high school with that she was. Uh, she ended up she ended up pregnant for this guy, and yeah, but it wasn't something that it wasn't something that I could bring home. It wasn't something that I could go to the school counselor or go to the school principal about just because it like you said, it was to get in somebody's business was frowned upon, even though you knew it wasn't right. Just get into somebody's some getting into somebody's business. It was just frowned upon and I didn't want to bring, you know, confusion for her, number one, because if I went and said something, then that would would have broken, you know, the confidentiality vow that she and I had. And then mm. for two, you don't, I, I didn't, you know, like I said, I just didn't feel comfortable with going and saying something about it because nobody, like you said, nobody was talking about that kind of stuff when I was coming up. It was that was your business. You keep it to yourself. And if you do tell somebody, you tell somebody who you know without a shadow of a doubt is going to keep it to themselves. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I would always, you know, like I would always talk to her, though, and, you know, just like check up on her. And I remember when I first came out about my, I remember when I first came out about my situation, she was one of the first people to contact me and say like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Like, you know, you know I went, you know what I went through, and thank you for speaking up. You know, thank you for having the courage to speak up because I didn't then and I still don't now. And so, mm. yeah. Wow. That's it. It happens so young, but and I don't know if it's a, a southern thing. Next week, we'll have a guest that's not from the South. But I know here in the South, you're kind of raised, you know, what goes on in this house stays in this house. Sure. So a lot of times we, you know, we'll see our parents or step parents, grandparents or whatever fighting. But we know we're not supposed to tell anybody because we'll get in trouble, even though it could have saved somebody's life. You, you know, I don't you don't know. But that's how we were raised. So, of course, when you're in that situation, 
it's hard to talk about because you were raised what goes on in this house stays in this house. You don't tell people your business. So I do believe a lot of women, women and men are silently suffering because they have that in the back of their mind. But I'm going to tell you what, what I do know. And this is another statistic from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of these victims of the murder are female. So I want you guys to think about that as we have like three minutes left in the show. Like I said, if you have any questions or comments, now is your time to press one. If you are not comfortable with that, feel free to inbox Define You Radio or inbox me or Naquisha or Nadia, which are both speaking out about the topic. You guys, that's that was part of my healing. And as you guys heal, because it's a journey to healing. You're not going to get out of a domestic violence situation and the next day skip and rope and, and be fine. Because you have to heal and then you have to learn how to have a, a healthy relationship, which is a whole other thing. Because as a victim of domestic violence, you're going to always have that reflex of an argument is going to lead to yeah. a fight. So that that happens. So as we close out tonight's show, Nadia, can you go ahead and give the listeners your information so they know how to connect with you? And like I said, we will post the event information on Define You Radio's Facebook page. Okay. Um, I'm Nadia. My personal Facebook page is under Nadia Wells. Um, my organization page is Bio Inc., one word, B-O-W-I-N-C. And it's also Bio Inc. on Instagram. It's B O W. Underscore INC. My website is blessingourwomeninc.org. Thank you so much. And guys, like I said, we will make sure all that information is posted on Define You Radio's Facebook page in case you didn't write it down. So, with that being said, Naquisha, how can the listeners get in contact with you? You you can find me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Nakuisha. It's spelled N A Q U I S H I A, and last name Hanks H A N K S. Also, I do have a domestic violence blog um, on Facebook as well, and you can find that at Q Q U I S T O. R-Y. Also, if you are in Houston, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I am actually hosting an event called Pack Up and Pack Out. I'm doing this event with Positive Express, but however, um, Positive Express is geared toward 
teams, but however, any anybody can come out and definitely join us for this event. Again, it's called Pack Up and Pack Out, and the event is going to be on October 21st. We're starting at 11.30 in the morning. I'll post the information to the Define You Radio page, and the the again, it starts at 11.30, and it'll run from 11.30 to 2.00, and it's going to be in Missouri City, Texas at the Stimley Blue Ridge Library, and I will post that information for anybody who wants to come out. And um, actually, that event is going to be geared towards something that Valencia talked about earlier um, again, it's called Pack Up and Pack Out, and what we're what we're going to be doing is teaching you how to pack up that bag in case you do need to get out in an emergency mm-hmm. situation. So that's what the event is going to be geared towards. So, again, you can contact me. You can type in Queen Story on my blog page. All the contact information is there, email. You can send me a message, and I do try to respond within the hour. Well, thank you both and guys make sure you connect with define you radio's facebook page where you can connect with both powerful events one is this month september 30th and the other is october 21st is that correct yes yeah yay so if you're in the south or coming to the south louisiana texas show your support for both events about domestic violence it's time to make a change break these generational curses so that our sons and our daughters a know it's not okay to be violated or to violate anyone else with that being said guys it's been a great powerful show pens and papers down class is officially over but make sure you join us next week as we continue our month-long series on domestic violence same time and same place. Have a great week. And remember, only you can define you. Thanks for listening to Define You Radio. Class is in session. Connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com. Pins and papers down. Class is over.